Welcome to Reckoning. My name is Ingrid, and I'm starting this podcast to share open and honest discussions about our experiences with death. I'm hoping that as a culture, we can grow to talk about it without it being feared as a heavy, scary, and overwhelming topic. Let's talk about it more, get a little more comfortable with it, wrestle and wonder and ask questions. Let's reckon with it. We all have to deal with this aspect of life. We will lose everyone we know, and we ourselves will die. So how can we face this reality with eyes more open, with some grace, humility, understanding, and even appreciation? How can we embrace this aspect of being a human and use it as a way to grow, learn, and expand? The goal of this podcast is to turn toward these shared experiences, using our stories and collective wisdom to gain some courage and strength and skill to face it. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen to and have these conversations with me. Thanks for being willing to reckon with the topic of death and dying. This interview is part of a series of seven interviews I did with classmates for a project in my end-of-life class. I'm so grateful to them for sharing so vulnerably and taking the risk to tell their story to me when some of us have only met on Zoom or only met in this one class. If you haven't checked it out yet, I created an episode where I combined all seven interviews into one, and I highly recommend listening. Jeff Johnson, and I'm in Portland, Oregon, and I have had the privilege of having a few classes with you, and so that is why I'm here. I want to continue the conversations that we've had. Yeah, definitely, and I I distinctly remember meeting you in um, the research class (laughs) in back in in real times, Um, (laughs) and we were in that like weird basement in the other building, and it was nighttime and we're all tired but anyway and and you were like I want to do a project around using psilocybin as like end of life treatment I was like yes this is going to be great (laughs) totally I remember that yeah really clearly too and Mm -hmm. it kind of feels like a lifetime ago it it was it was it was (laughs) different universe (laughs) yeah yeah exactly a lot of life has happened since then yeah yeah but yeah, I, I agree. I feel like we've had lots of good conversations around end of life. And um, yeah, my understanding, I know that you're in a hospice placement for your internship. And Yeah. Um, yep. I'm at, I'm at Providence Hospice uh, this year and it's, uh, it's been really, really good. I mean, I just, I feel really fortunate. Like I fully expected this year to be, you know, completely remote as a lot of our lives have turned into and the team there has been uh, just incredibly supportive to try to, you know, to take proper precautions, but to really allow me to still have a real field experience. And so I've pretty much on a weekly basis, you know, been provided PPE and been able to visit folks in their homes still. And, um, you know, 
even to the point of them providing vaccination, which I feel totally fortunate about. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, one of my supervisors in the beginning of the year said, you know, my, my hope for you over the course of this year is that you really learn to love the work and mm. fall in love with it. And, um, and I really found that that's been the case. You know, I think, mm. I think for all of us in, in the school of social work, it's trying to find like our niche or our particular speed that we're, that we feel drawn to when it comes to mental health care. And <clears throat> I think for me, it's, I've really found that in end of life care in a way mm-hmm. that it feels really resonant and that I feel so like encouraged, so energized by. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it's an exciting time. You know, I, I think, and it, it's also, I, it's so funny to try to explain that to folks who are outside of that world, just because it sounds mm-hmm. for a lot of people, like the last thing that they would ever be excited to go do. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, yeah, I don't know. It has so much resonance with so many other parts of my life. And yeah, I, I just, I find the work really gratifying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I resonate with that. And I think um, and on the surface, it does sound and, and feel funny to, to say, like to be energized by this work um, and connecting with people around this very heavy and often dark topic or, you know, emotional topic. Um, but even in just this project, like almost, I mean, not almost every single time I do have a conversation with somebody, I come away feeling more alive, you know, like it's, it's such a, um, it's such a, like a buzzing and a sharp, uh, reminder of like, why we're here and who we are and where are we going? And all of that gets put into context um, by the fact that we're mortal. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, well, and, and I think, you know, in, within American culture in particular, there's such a, an allergy to like acknowledging <laughs> essential fact of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we have developed these systems to silo the di- dying experience Um, and to remove ourselves and and abstract ourselves from anything that's uncomfortable. And, uh, I think we've perfected that art to like a scary degree. Mm. Um, and so that, you know, the conversation of dying within our, our American context is supremely uncomfortable for a Mm -hmm. lot of people. And, and I, I just firmly agree with you that, um, having those tangible reminders of a timeline and that we all exist within a limited one uh, really for me is, is the energizing like fact of my life. Like, and mm-hmm. I, it, it's why I want to be in close proximity to deaths that I might appreciate my own life more. And, mm-hmm. and I really do think that if you allow yourself that space to really meditate on your own mortality, to really um, allow it to be a part of your life in a way that it doesn't have to be morbid. It just has to be like a confrontation on some level. Um, I think the, the product of that can be really meaningful. And, and for me, like it creates that vibrancy of life that, um, that I want to spend my, my nine to five doing, I, mm-hmm. I want to engage with that because I think it's, it's what can propel you to live more like intentionally. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, absolutely. And yeah, it's funny while you're talking, the one thought I had that popped into my mind was um, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. <laughs> like, but, but even that language is like that death is the enemy, I think is so, so commonly like portrayed in the medical world. And, you know, it's like this idea of like, we're battling and we're fighting. And like, we use that language, like they're a fighter, they're going to get through this. And, oh, I had a battle with cancer. And, you know, all of these ways that we talk about fighting off and staying away from death as opposed to like, yeah, drawing it closer or, um, or even just not labeling it as a bad thing. Like it's, it's yeah, a, it's a thing, <laughs> but like <laughs> the most natural thing. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, you know, it's it's understandable that we have this predisposition to not want to think about it because mm-hmm. the the anxiety attached to it and um, the pain attached to it is intimidating. It's scary. It's daunting, and you know, even like biologically, I think we like are programmed to avoid these things. This is why we, our nervous system acts as it does. And it alerts us Mm -hmm. to temperature and hunger and stressors. It's, I mean, we, we do have a wiring to want to avoid death and we're programmed Mm -hmm. that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And so there is like, there's some natural barriers, I think, to overcome in that. But I, I do think that I'm I'm just a firm believer in like exposure therapy that mm, mm-hmm. when you allow yourself to face something, it's power over you diminishes to some level. And, mm-hmm. and I don't, you know, I, I don't want to um, minimize the tragedy that people experience in their lives through someone being taken from them. And, um, and even how scary it is to, to think about like losing your own life and, and the loss of ego and the loss of self, like that's something that we all have to reckon with. But to me, the, the beauty in actually confronting it is that you can, you can allow the power to diminish in your life um, of the fear and the intimidation behind it. And, and I think in doing so, you can love your own life in a, in a more Mm -hmm. significant way, like in a, in a way that, feels really genuine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that excites me like I, I mean to me that's I don't think everything can be boiled down like psychologically to the fear of our mortality but I do think it looms pretty large in our mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and if that confrontation can happen in a healthy way um, in a way that allows that reality to happen without maybe dwelling on it constantly um, I think there's some benefit there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, you know, I think modern psychology and, um, you know, the way people talk about therapy is a lot of, a lot of the language is rooted in these ideas of like fight, flight and freeze and mm. somatics. And like the way, you know, the way we feel in our body, it's like trauma is stored in our bodies. And that, like it is, I hadn't thought about this before until now, but that all is traced back to this fear of death, essentially, you know, like, why do I feel like so alert and hypervigilant when so-and-so comes into the room 
it's because my body has this like response, you know, of like, I'm, I'm in threat, you know, I'm in danger. Um, And of what, like, and it, it, you know, ultimately it's like, because I don't want to die or like, (laughs) you know, even though, even though that's not always like literally what we're in threat of, but that's like stored in our bodies. And so, yeah, I think, um, yeah, I just think that's a fascinating way to think about um, how, how death is sort of kind of just around the corner from, you know, we talk about trauma, but like there's, there's death in there, you know, or like we talk about um, fears or like, you know, things that keep us from achieving our dreams. It's like, well, this, yeah, there's kind of death behind the corner of that. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. And, and to understand that there's a biological component to it. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think helpful to understand that this is not just like head games that we would play with ourselves or an avoidance Mm -hmm. tactic, but that really like there is kind of this biological precedent that we have within ourselves that, um, wants to preserve life and wants it to continue. And Mm -hmm. I just don't think that as a society, we've done a really good job of normalizing conversations around it in a way that can actually, I don't know, but can, can work in, in union with, uh, with wanting to live good lives. Like, I mean, I, I just think that if our relationship to that whole conversation can change to one of acceptance, mm-hmm. um, to one of acknowledgement, then uh, maybe we can learn how to die well. And, mm. and I mean, I think, what are the ripple effects of that? I, for one, being in the, in the, the healthcare system, I, I think it would totally change how we view healthcare in this country. Um, and, and that, like living a good life is more than just prolonging it. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm, I'm very like, I'm very taken by um, just that conversation of like, what does it mean to die well? Because I, I again, in the essence of that is what does it mean to live well? Mm-hmm. I think those are just always going to be part of the same conversation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um. I'm curious at this point in the conversation, um, I'm happy to take it either direction, but I'm curious if you have like a personal experience that you want to like ground this in some like examples, um, be it like in your hospice work or just your own life, or if there are certain like people you've read or, um, you know, like groups or, or people of certain identities that are like leading this conversation in a way that um, is informing the way you're thinking about it. Cause I, I feel like we could talk for half an hour and just be like, yes, 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 yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but I'm, so I, yeah, I'm curious, like what is informing this worldview of yours that like, I, yeah, I think is great. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I've thought about, you know, in, in preparing for our conversation today, like what is, what is my interest in this subject and where does it come from? And I, I definitely do have you know, personal experience um, of losing loved ones and and those being really profound experiences in my life. But I, I think for me, like there is a deep, like intellectual interest in this subject. And before, before pursuing mental health, um, you know, I studied theology for a really long time. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think for me, there's this really deep fascination with mystery. Mm. And that being kind of the common thread that unites like 
my interest in end of life care. It's, it's where these existential questions naturally come up and, you know, those, those existential questions come up with the highest frequency when someone is facing the end of their life. Um, you know, what is this all about? What does it mean to be human? What happens after death? And, you know, that can foster a conversation about spirituality. It can also foster a lot of other conversations um, about legacy, about what does it mean to live well? And to me, that is really like, that's what draws me to this work. I have a deep attraction to, to mystery. And I, I think, yeah, I, I think I've really felt my vocational path, like become clear just mm. recently, you know, within the last year in this like form of end of life care, because it facilitates conversations that I'm deeply interested in um, both personally mm-hmm. and like, and academically and professionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the subjects that's been coming up for me recently, I, I just pre- presented to the social work group at Providence recently on um, a book called The Worm at the Core. Hmm. And it's written by a team of social psychologists um, on something they developed called terror management theory. Hmm. And it's basically, you know, how do we, how do we reckon with the fear of mortality and how does that play into um, how it affects our psyches? You know, how does that play into every part of our life? And something that that I would love to talk to you about is this kind of what they concluded the book with talking about this notion of death transcendence. So like, what are the activities that human beings participate in uh, that allow them to transcend death and that allow that process to become more bearable? And, Mm. you know, there's obvious ones. We transcend death through our biology. If we have children, or through our legacies, through our stories that we share, through the relationships that we share. Um, But for me, you know, there's also the two that really come up the most in my own life are like nature transcendence, connecting with the natural world and creative transcendence. And that is, you know, whether it's art or music or science or technology, um, ways that we are trying to create things that exist in this world outside of us and I'm just curious like in your own life how you've maybe experienced death transcendence and what kind of feels resonant for you with that I love it um I always love it when I become the interviewee in the middle of the (laughs) um yeah that's such a great question uh it's so the first thing that comes to mind is um, the movie Soul. Have you seen that? I haven't. I've the, heard it's the new it. Pixar. Yeah. It's great. They've, in a classic way, you know, Pixar fashion have done a great job of portraying these really complex ideas in like a cartoon form. Um, and this doesn't give any, I don't think gives anything away from the movie, but they're um, characters like, uh, like human beings go into like the flow state mm. and in that flow state, they are, their souls are not on earth anymore. They're like kind of back up in the like ethereal plane, essentially, which is just such, it just is such an enjoyable, like nod to 
that reality, you know, that like so many of us have had those like flow state experiences where we've lost track of time. We're fully absorbed in what we're doing. We're not really thinking or using our analytical minds. Um, And I like that. I just like that statement being that like what you're talking about death transcendence. It's like in that moment, we're not really alive or dead. Like we're just, yeah, we're just little souls like experiencing this thing. And yeah, um yeah and so I mean for me yeah uh time and nature often can definitely spark that and as you say like creative um creative endeavors I I don't know how much of this is is like fueled by COVID being so limiting but Mm. lately I've been thinking about how sometimes gatherings with people can feel that way absolutely like like, wow, how is it already 11 o'clock and we've just been laughing and telling stories and playing games and there's something so, yeah, just human about that. Like, yeah. this is what we do. We spend time together and we like, you know, share our experiences together. So, yeah, um, yeah, I really, I really like that question. I like that idea. Well, I, and I think you named one of the most powerful forms of it, you know, experiential transcendence. And that, I mean, how cool is it that we as human beings can really have tangible experiences of, of like bodily transcendence? Um, mm-hmm. And I think it, it was Perks of Being a Wallflower, that book that talked about these moments where we feel infinite. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. really like captures it, I think. This, mm-hmm. you know, whether it be, um, a moment in nature or going to a concert and you know like hearing a song mm-hmm, that like makes mm-hmm. you feel infinite or yeah, yeah sharing a beautiful meal with people and and like the time just passes like mm-hmm. yeah that that to me is is what it's all about I mean I, I think mm-hmm. you know Alan Watts describes the purpose of spirituality should be to put us in a place to experience wonder as often as possible. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and that, that just feels like an incredible goal to have. And Mm -hmm. those moments all capture that, you know, they're moments Mm -hmm. of wonder. Um, Mm -hmm. And I know, you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record uh, with kind of the exciting developments with end of life care and, and psilocybin, but this is such an exciting time to be in mental health as it relates to end of life care and that patients have this capacity, you know, in, in Oregon now that they can have that experiential transcendence that here Mm -hmm. there's a substance that exists naturally in the world that can allow someone to transcend Mm -hmm. their bodily existence and feel connected to the universe and feel Mm -hmm connected to the natural world and all the people in their lives and can break down these barriers of fear. I mean, that is powerful. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. I just feel so excited to be stepping into this world of mental health care and of end of life care at this really pivotal time when uh, we have this potential new tool Mm -hmm. that could be transformative.
my gosh, so much to say. Um, I feel like on the one hand, like I've heard people talking about how this, just this year, like the past, you know, 12 months have mm. been a really, it feels like a very sharp dividing line mm. in our current history. You know, like we have, we're like stepping across a threshold into a new time. And it, I think yeah. many of us feel that all, you know, yeah, it's a very, it's a commonly stated, you know, feeling of something's changing. <laughs> um, and, you know, you know, maybe topic for like a whole nother separate conversation, but like the question to some degree is like, are we leaning towards like chaos or are we leaning towards enlightenment? You know, <laughs> like, and it, I, I mean, I, I don't want to put words in like the mouths of millions of people, but yeah. that to me sort of feels like we're on this like fence and it's like, which, which kind of, which way are we falling here? And anyway, so the, you know, when you talk about psilocybin treatment, you know, for end of life, I'm like that, yes, we are moving in the right direction. <laughs> like, and, you know, I'm painting this as like a false binary. Obviously there's not like a good way and a bad way that we're moving forward, but, but I do really think there, I, I too feel so excited in the conversations that are happening on a global level right now. People are talking about race in ways that we haven't talked about race before. People are talking about ability and disability. People are talking about gender and sexuality and um, psychology. Like all of these fields I feel like are just, we're like bursting at the seams and there's so many cool interrelated and emerging ideas that are, you know, coming through, like we were talking earlier about the body, like the mind body connection Absolutely. is yeah. coming up in so many different arenas. And yeah. So to some degree, I feel like that's in the psilocybin conversation too. A hundred percent. And I mean, it's, <clears throat> it's exciting that, I don't know that, that binary that you talked about. And <laughs> I, I feel like we're, teetering in one direction or another on a day-to-day basis it can mm-hmm. change all the yep. time <laughs> but I do think they're I, I think they're two sides of the same coin you know I yeah. think the one thing that we can really recognize is that there's this has been a year of considerable movement in the world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I think that chaos really does kind of breed the opportunity for mm-hmm. enlightenment mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. I think when things are are completely the same in status quo. Like it's mm. so easy to become complacent and mm. stagnant in, in our thinking and in the ways that we choose to live. And this is, I mean, there's been so much chaos in our lives in the last mm-hmm. year that it, I don't want to say that it, it has been, uh, yeah, beneficial necessarily. I mean, there's mm. been a lot of, a lot of like real losses attached to mm-hmm. that. Um, but there's, there's also opportunity in the midst Mm -hmm. of those losses. And I, I really, I do feel some energy behind the potential that we have as a society. And I I really think, I mean, human beings tend to be pretty stubborn creatures and Mm -hmm. we really only make radical change when it's required of us. And Mm -hmm. I think we're seeing that moment in a lot of ways, like something big is being required of us and, and that is facilitating those conversations. That is facilitating those movements. That's facilitating that transformation. And mm-hmm. I think that's a beautiful thing. I think it's exciting. And it's not, 
I don't think it's going to to necessarily be a really orderly transition <laughs> to, <laughs> into a better society. But um, but the fact that again, it's exposure therapy on a global level. Mm. Like we are needing to confront our demons on on some level, mm-hmm. and and I think that is that's a worthwhile exercise for all of us. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. I think it's uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, but one of the, one of the Buddhist um, scholars says like chaos should be regarded as extremely good news. Um, And it's that exact idea of, you know, these things. And it like, you know, when you mentioned two sides of the same coin, again, like life and death get pitted as these opposites, but yeah, but they're they're made of the same material. Like just because yeah. something's on the other side doesn't mean it's not you know completely interwoven into that object. And yeah, um, yeah. So any anyway, so there's that a lot of parallels, right? Of chaos is like we resist it, we don't want it, we push it away, like keep it away from me. And yet, um, you know, how many of us have had those experiences? Death being one of them. You know, loss that are like you know it sucks, but my life completely changed because of it. And I, I kind of am glad it happened. Yeah. Um, glad being the right word, but yeah. No, I, I I hear you. And I'm, I don't know. I'm just, I'm curious. I mean, I, as you alluded to earlier, like COVID has been this opportunity for folks to react to in any number of ways. And I I think Mm -hmm. even, any number of ways within the same day and Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. curious like what not that this experience is over by any measure but Mm. as vaccines are happening uh you know Mm -hmm. i think there is a light at the end of the tunnel that we can actually point to now on a Mm -hmm. level that we couldn't Mm -hmm. uh, in a few months ago Mm -hmm. Uh, and i'm just curious like do you feel any kind of shifts within yourself like are there takeaways at this point are there Mm-hmm. lessons that that are going to shape you moving forward like from this time mm-hmm. oh absolutely um and I just want to say first that I'm super glad that we're talking about COVID because um like something that's been interesting with this with this podcast is that um I haven't had a lot of time to work on it because we're in school and there's a lot going on um and I have felt this real this tinge of like you know, I'm, I'm, most of my interviews have been stories about people's personal experiences, which is, that's the goal of the project and I'm loving it. And it's really important. And also this, like, I should in some way be nodding to and recognizing the context in which I'm having. And I, I do, but the context of these conversations, like we are, we are in the midst of, you know, a huge death event. Um, And I similarly felt that way about I mean, I'd still feel that way about like um, about racial, racially charged deaths from p- police brutality. Absolutely. Like, uh, and I haven't had an episode about that either, but I just felt like, oh my gosh, like we're talking about death all the time right now. This is, this yeah. is the moment to like be, not- anyway, so that's yeah. a bit of an aside, but um, so I really appreciate um, that. And I, you know, it, it is funny to me that we turn on the radio and, or, you know, flip onto the news and we're talking about death in this very abstract way. Oh, 73 cases, 23 deaths. Oh, we reached a new number over 200,000. It's like, 
hold on a minute. Like that is not just a number. Like that is 200,000 human lives. Um, And so I've been really um, just attuned to that a little bit lately, how, how we can talk about things on different levels. Like we can talk about it, but we're not really talking about it. Um, so that's something I've been thinking about. And also, um, something I've been really shocked by, and that has come up in, you know, a few of our classes and things is, um, this, the like ageism or the, Mm. and the ableism hidden within COVID Mm -hmm. and namely that for whatever reason in this context, I've heard people say things like, well, people are going to die. Yeah. Or like, so dismissive. Oh, well, you know, they were going to get the flu anyway. And that I think is an interesting thing for us to tease apart as a, as a, as a community, as on like a national community, like, well, yeah. who's, whose lives do we value and, and whose lives do we work to protect and, or not. And yeah. yeah, well, and I really think this like plays into our allergy to talking about death. Like the, the flip side of that attitude is this unhealthy obsession with youth and with beauty mm-hmm. and with able bodies and mm-hmm. this allergy to talking about any kind of weakness because weakness mm-hmm. when you boil it down is like the, again, like goes back to a fear of death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and so as like appalling as it is that, that people can be so cavalier. And, you know, I was in my twenties at one point as well. Like I do understand to some extent, like the recklessness that people feel at that age. Um, it's alarming, I think, to, to just hear these attitudes of like, I'm going to keep living my life and not really my problem, even though I'm being asked an incredibly simple task to like wear a mask in public, you know, it's not, mm-hmm like we're not uh on like food rationing like world war ii you know this is like what is being asked is kind of human decency to each Mm -hmm. other and the broad swaths of our population that refuse to acknowledge that is Mm -hmm. is alarming and i don't know i'm i'm hopeful that this can be like a teachable moment as a society for us to move forward and to um, to really not only alter our healthcare system to try to better accommodate folks that are immunocompromised and communities of color who are so frequently overlooked um, in healthcare efforts, but to to really have a reckoning as a society and to like ask ourselves what it means to think outside of our own narrow scope and. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, for me, that's like one of my biggest takeaways from this time during the COVID era has been like, we are intensely social creatures. Mm -hmm. We are so reliant upon our contact with each other to flourish. And Mm -hmm. we can, we can physically survive uh, without proximity to each other, but we cannot flourish without meaningful connections with each other. And I, mm. I have felt the absence of that so significantly over the mm-hmm. last year. And I just, I don't know. I like, this is in some ways the most divisive time I can remember being alive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and I'm hopeful that the, the, the product longer term can be this real sense of like human community. And mm. I don't know, I'm, I'm not sure where that's going to land if I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, definitely. Yes. Yeah. I, um, it, it feels like a sort of a heart in your throat kind of moment, you know, like, it's like, we're sitting here waiting to see like, how's this going to turn out, you know? And it's, we're in it, we're in it, we're in, you know, and that uh, something I've been thinking a lot about this year is um, like my own, um, I'm trying to think about the word that I was using earlier this summer, but it's like my own sort of like egocentric, not in like a inflated narcissistic, narcissistic ego way, but just like my own absorption with my own identity in my own life. Hmm. Um, being so limited that, um, that I, I'm like, okay, this, this was a thought that I had this summer. Um, I, I'm like shocked that there's the pandemic and I'm shocked that there's all this division and I'm shocked at this racial inequality, which all of that shows like just the lens that I live with. Yeah. like live from as a white woman in, you know, that grew up in the eighties and nineties, <laughs> all of these layers to like, lend me this perspective that, well, of course life is going to be fun and easy hmm. and there will be challenges, but there'll mostly be challenges that I can overcome because um, there will be opportunities, you know? Yeah. And, and then thinking about all of human history, the number of wars and pandemics and catastrophes and like natural disasters, like all of these things. I'm like, why did I think that I would just skate through and have none of that? Like, it is so fascinating to be like, why is this? And and like that classic, like, why is this happening to me? (laughs) Um, So anyway, so I just think that's been kind of an, in, in a, in a really roundabout and funny way, it really, calms me down to be like, this is, this is part of life. This is what happens to all of us. We go through these, we go through these things that aren't just personal challenges. They're, they're challenges of our entire community. Um, And when I think about it that way, I feel really connected kind of going back to that transcendence idea of, well, I'm just like one generation amongst many. I'm just one little being amongst billions. Um, yeah. And everyone's struggling with something. <laughs> so, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think it's, I think it's a really insightful thought. And I think there's real freedom in the, in the letting go of protecting that cushion and, mm-hmm. of, you know, that insulation from disaster, mm-hmm. um, which people as privileged as someone like myself and my identities, um, I have been insulated from the lived reality that so many people on this planet have to deal with on a daily basis. And, and I think when, when I can learn to let go of um, this false notion that, that life is supposed to be enjoyable and safe and easy all the time, Mm-hmm. And I can face, I mean, Pima Chodron like has this beautiful mm-hmm. definition of like 
having a committed relationship to reality mm. you know um that to me is like <laughs> really been resonant of like i just i don't want to hold on to this um naive and self-protectionist view mm-hmm. of my life that mm-hmm. it needs to be a certain way and mm-hmm. when we leave room for the very real possibility that like calamity can happen I think we we hold on to our own selves and our own lives a little bit looser mm-hmm. and I think when we do that we live a little bit freer and we live more open to other people's experiences and more open to the possibility of being disrupted and mm. I think that makes us more gentle. It makes us more loving. It makes us more open. Mm. And all of that is a really beautiful potential byproduct of, of this experience that we've all been learning from. Mm-hmm. And that's how I want to live my life, you know, mm-hmm. and one where my grasp is a little bit looser um, and that my expectations for how my life needs to be in order to mm-hmm. be worth living, um, that that is, that those expectations are dissolved. Mm-hmm. And I think in that there's, there's real potential for, for living well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. That is so beautifully said. And, you know, it comes back to that, like the conversation of why death can be so energizing or like, being around death or dying is um, you use the word mystery earlier. Like there is something so um, unsettling in a great way about these things that we cannot know the answers to. And we do not know the answers to. And they, that just puts this perspective of, well, what can I know? (laughs) Yeah. And, yeah. and like, you know, I think so often, like, yeah, the Buddhist thinking is, um, there's not much that we can know for certain, <laughs> like, there's just not much. <laughs> so that just immediately forces us to come into these, like, you know, smaller, like moments, and like, the present and observation and curiosity and, um, and just the humility of like, wow, okay. Like there's all this huge mystery around me and I'm just this little thing. And like, I just, you got to kind of laugh because like what else, you know? So <laughs> there's, yeah. Yeah. I think that's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, there's, well, I mean, what's in our sphere of control? Like <laughs> if you really boil it down, it's like kind of the present moment and that's, mm-hmm you know, something like the Buddhist tradition continually asks us to try to revisit. It's like, Mm -hmm. what do you actually have control over really like how you choose to be like in this present moment? And Mm -hmm. rather than, I don't know. I mean, COVID has taught me that has limited my life and Mm -hmm. reminded me of that limitation Mm -hmm. in a way that I found like profoundly helpful Mm -hmm. and has really made me understand just how much I need to just focus on today and right now because so much outside of that is just completely out of my hands and rather than being a really scary prospect that actually feels kind of liberating yes yes I agree you had you, you asked earlier about like lessons from COVID and I feel like 
I've heard a, a number of other people say this, so this isn't my original thought, but just th- there's like freedom in, ironically, in the quarantine, you know, in the sense that I think it, I think it just shut down our go, go, go. Yeah. I'm busy. I have a schedule. What time is it? Where am I going? It yeah. like shut that down. And I feel like there have been so many moments where I'm like, well, it's six o'clock on a Thursday night or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Nowhere to go, nothing to do. And then you just kind of look around and you're like, what, do, what am I going to do? Like, <laughs> and there's something really kind of beautiful about that to just, yeah. Like take away all that external running around and totally. I mean, there's a real beauty in like living slowly. And right. Yeah, I think it forces you to befriend yourself in a new mm-hmm. way. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's very, I mean, it's comforting on like FOMO doesn't really exist because like yes, doing anything cool together right now anyway. <laughs> yes. And if and if they are, it's like oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I don't feel great about that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, I wonder, I, as someone who is not, I'm not, well, I, as I perceive it, not near death, um, or I'm not uh, in the process of dying. I, I can't know what that feels like yet. But I wonder to some degree if there's a parallel there of like, things get stripped away. And that's painful, yeah. as we've all felt. And there must be some liberation in that to be like, you know, I just, who is it that I, I haven't thought of this in years, but a, an old relative of mine, an aunt of mine, I think I remember her joking that she's like, I never have to pay my taxes again. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hell yeah, for that perspective. That's okay. <laughs> yeah. uh, There's like a letting go of all the bullshit too sometimes, you know, like, really? yeah. I think it burns, burns, burns. <laughs> And that, it's, I think that that nails it, like, the end of life process, I think, is ultimately a clarifying process, mm, like who mm. you are and what is important to you. Mm. And COVID has been an, another, in its own form, clarifying process. Like, who mm-hmm. do you want to be? How do you want to exist in the world? What is the kind of world that you want to exist in? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, the last year has been an opportunity like I've never known um, mm-hmm. to be able to really dive deep into that process. And mm-hmm. there's been, yeah, a lot of really difficult, challenging circumstances attached to that, but I, I don't want to let go of that lesson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. I yeah. feel like, um, I just appreciate, the like wide breadth of, of like sources that you named Um, clearly, you know, clearly this is a genre of thinking that you've spent a lot of time ruminating over and, um, and I appreciate your perspectives, you know, like from theology and bringing that into like the practical as you know, getting into social work. And so, um, yeah, it's it's been a treat to just kind of talk about some of these like broader concepts and philosophies around death and dying. So I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Yeah. Always a pleasure to chat with you about it. And uh, I fully expected it to 
not have structure and to be a great conversation. So awesome. Yeah. <laughs> great. I don't think had to try too hard to have a good chat about it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I just want to say one more thing, which is that I am not an expert. I'm not here to tell people how to grieve or heal or what death is or isn't. My main goal with this project is simply to create space for us to share our stories about death and dying. And from that collective experience, enable all of us to feel less alone in facing the challenges of grief and loss. Thank you for listening, for being brave and vulnerable and for your time. Any questions or comments, please get in touch with me. I'd love to hear from you and perhaps share your story too.